In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for coming to church on Super Bowl Sunday. It's good to see you all here. Now, those people you know skip church, I want you to go tell them. Make them feel real guilty. Real guilty. Like, share my guilt with them. No, I'm just kidding. I get it. I get it. So how many of you are ready for the big game? How many of you are even watching the game? Let's start with that. How many in this room actually are watching the game? Now, who's watching the game or the commercials? All right, game, raise your hand. Commercials, raise your hand. It's a good mix. So good news for you, and this will save me an announcement later. There are two ways to participate in our youth fundraiser this morning. For those who just want to watch the commercials, you can go do that. And those who want to try to predict the score, of course, we know the Chiefs are going to win. But if you want to decide by how much, you can go play that game. And all those proceeds help the youth go on their trip. And since the youth have a special lock-in today, the parents are picking up the torch and, and running this fundraiser this morning. The youth are having a very powerful weekend together. And it's really there that really struck me in this powerful week. I was with our youth till about 11 last night. I came for a part of this program. And it really blew my mind because one of the youth uh, who's leading it, one of our senior seniors, shared her testimony, if you will, uh, what most of us would call it, her testimony around this particular topic. And it blew my mind because as I was sitting there listening, and it was a skit before the talk, as I was sitting there listening to this without giving away too much, it just reminded me of the simple fact of what we're called to do. The simple reality of what we're called to do as Christians. And this whole idea of testify. Now I don't mean get up in front of folks on the street and say, if you just read the Bible more, Jesus would love you better. Or I don't expect you to go to people and ask them, when were you saved? That's an important question, but maybe not the lead-off question. Maybe not the one we should start a conversation with if we want to really be authentic about who we are. But we testify. What we really do when we testify is we own who we are and we share who we are in God's eyes with those we meet. See, it becomes less about pointing out all the righteous things we do. It becomes more about pointing out the unrighteous and the righteous things we do and the reality that God has walked with us through the highs and the lows. And that's what was so powerful to me last night as I was sitting there watching an 18-year-old give the most authentic and vulnerable talk I've heard in a long time. One that struck me because I could relate. Many of the lows that were expressed, I had been there. And many of the highs that were expressed, I'd been there as well. And it was powerful. It was a powerful moment for the youth that were gathered for this particular special time. It was powerful for us adults, I think, and myself included, to realize in that moment, that's what it's all about. That's the simple reality of being a disciple. Someone who who owns and is vulnerable enough to testify about God walking with them through their highs and their lows. And today... We, we, we experience that in the form of Simeon. So Jesus is, this is in the Gospel of Luke. So Jesus has come from Bethlehem where he had to do his imperial duty. His parents, Mary and Joseph, had to do their imperial duty, get counted for the census. 
And in case you're wondering, this, this feast day, the presentation of the temple, which we celebrate today, it happens about every seven years that it lands on a Sunday, thrust us back to Christmas. Really, we're picking up as if we never celebrated any of Epiphany and we had just gone to church straight through Christmas and kept reading. That's where we are in Luke's gospel. We're right back at, at the Christmas story. So Jesus, Mary and Joseph have gone to be counted. Jesus has been born. Eight days later, you have to go be presented in the temple. Now, somebody in our Thursday morning Bible study, a gentleman, asked a great question and said, why in the world would Jesus go to Jerusalem knowing Herod was out to get him? It's a great question. And one at 6.45 in the morning, I did a poor job of answering. But men, come to the Bible study at 6.45 in this powerful time we have together. And the answer to that question is something I want us to keep in our mind as we think about this Christmas story, because you may be wondering the same thing. Why in the world would Jesus go to Jerusalem? And the reality is, in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2, you don't have any mention of the wise men, and you don't have any mention of Herod. Luke's gospel doesn't have that. And that's what makes the Christmas and the nativity story so tricky for us, is what we've done in our minds is we're blending together Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel to create that robust nativity story that we all know so well with the wise men coming and and Herod. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is born, the shepherds come, then he goes to Jerusalem to be presented, and then immediately following this story, he'll appear as a young man in the temple and make everybody upset when he reads from the scroll, which we'll we'll catch that story later. And then we go right to chapter 3. Right to John the Baptist in the wilderness. And that's it for Luke. That's it for the birth narrative in Luke. And that's where the presentation of the t- our feast day today lands right in the middle of chapter 2. Jesus has been born and now he's going to do the ritual rite in the temple, which is important for Jesus and important for the narrative of Luke's gospel because Jesus is always fundamentally inside the law in Luke's gospel. And that's important when he starts being critical of the Pharisees, those who are harbingers of the law, protectors of the law, those who think they're righteous and doing what is right, doing living into what they've passed down. Jesus operates from within the law, not outside the law as a critic. He becomes an inside critic to the law and to the behaviors and the way the law is applied. And of course, in Luke's gospel, he's going to pass along the two great love commandments. And he's going to say, Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. And that only makes sense. Now, for us, we might say, Justin, it makes sense because he's the son of God and he can say whatever he wants to say. But the reality is, for those Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, unless Jesus operated from within as a Jewish male within the law, when he makes that claim later in the gospel, it wouldn't carry the same weight wouldn't carry the same validity as it does by the fact that he actually has honored the law through his entire life. Because for the Pharisees and Sadducees, when they hear that, when they hear that, those two commandments, and that they're supposed to imagine every single law being filtered through those two basic commandments, you can imagine how upsetting that will be. We still struggle with that today. We still struggle with filtering the law from the old. I call them Old Testament Christians when they're so obsessed with the Old Testament they can't imagine the New Testament, and yet they come to church 
and profess to be Christians, we get so hung up on the law that we forget these two basic commandments that are very complex and hard to understand. What does it really mean to love God and love your neighbor as yourself? And under the, and the idea that all these other all these thousands of other laws are supposed to hang underneath that. I mean, just think about that for a moment, how radical that is. It's not as black and white as what the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes have always longed for. They like their thousands of laws, and they like particularly the ones they like, and they don't like the ones they don't like, but since they have a position of power, they're okay with that. But the reality is Jesus boils it down. And all of this starts and is makes sense because of this one little itty-bitty story in Luke chapter 2 that Jesus is presented in the temple. That Jesus carries out, his family carries out their holy obligation to present him and to make the necessary sacrifices so that he is considered pure and clean. And that's what they do. And then there's two characters that jump out in this story, Simeon and Anna. Anna being a prophet and Simeon just being somebody the Holy Spirit rested upon who when he is promised that before he dies, he will see the Messiah. And he comes in the presence of Jesus and the Holy Family, and he sings this beautiful song that echoes what happened earlier in Luke's gospel in chapter 1, Mary's song about who Jesus is and what Jesus is coming to do in terms of being there for all people. And then Simeon does something very powerful that maybe we just kind of glossed over. Because we don't think, sometimes we raise Jesus up so high that we can't imagine that a human being would do this, but he blesses them. He doesn't just bless Mary and Joseph, he blesses them, the whole family. Simeon, just a normal, ordinary Joe, lays a blessing upon the Messiah and upon his mother and father. Just let that sink in for a minute. There's power in that, that Simeon standing in the presence of God blesses God among us. Blesses God among us. His response to this powerful experience, this this moment where he realizes he's staring at the one who's coming to be the consolation for Israel, and he sings this beautiful song, and then he blesses them. There's power in that. And then the second character of the story, Anna, the prophet, the one you would expect to be crying out, almost like John the Baptist, speaking about Jesus, not Simeon. Simeon's not a prophet. You'd expect a prophet to do this. Well, she jumps up and she starts to testify as well about who Jesus is, but in a different way than Simeon, not not in that kind of personal way that Simeon does. But nonetheless, both Simeon and Anna begin to prophesy begin to testify, tell the good news of Jesus Christ to those that they meet. There's power in that. And as I was sitting there last night, listening to our youth, I was blown away by their vulnerability to testify, because that's ultimately what we're all called to do. We're not called to go out and when someone's having a rough go of it and quote them a psalm, and assume that's going to make them feel better. Or someone who's questioning God to, to read them a piece of scripture, tell them if they just pray harder and believe harder, God will be there with them. No, that's not necessarily what we're supposed to do. 
what we're supposed to do is take those scriptures and those prayers and those psalms and those things that fuel us and be vulnerable and authentic with those that we meet. The worst thing we can do is live a life almost like a Pharisee and pretend it's all put together and that we're just so righteous and that God loves us so much that we're so perfect and we've never had a rough day in our life and expect the people that we meet to buy that. The best thing we can do is be real. Be real about who we are. In Luke's gospel, starting with the presentation here in chapter 2, there will be moments upon moments where people were going to be real about who they are. And in those moments, those people that we think or we might think as readers or outside the love of God are going to meet Jesus right in that place. And those people that are righteous and seem so wonderful and perfect are going to meet Jesus nonetheless in the same way. One of our jobs as a disciple, as we present ourselves as our prayer said today, our colleagues said today, as we present ourselves through Jesus Christ to be pure and holy. One of the ways we do that is we're authentic. We're real. We admit where we've we pushed God out and we invite God back in. We admit where we've fallen short and we ask for forgiveness. We dig into relationships with each other that are broken and need improvement and we do the hard work. We let go of resentment and we seek reconciliation. This is the work of testifying. When we live into these truths, these realities, these things that Jesus models for us, that's where something powerful happens for the people that we meet. Imagine those people that you're going to intersect this week, the people you know about and the people you don't know about. And think about how you, and I say this all the time, but I really believe it. Think about how you can be a place where God happens for them. Not because you quoted them the right piece of scripture or you told them to pray harder, but because you admitted you're having a bad day. You admitted that you don't know where God is in the midst of this. Because the reality is we all live between the highs and the lows. And sometimes we Christians focus only on the highs and forget that a lot of where transformation happens are in the lows, in the dark. And our youth last night reminded all the youth gathered that there are lows, but they don't last forever. And there are highs, and they don't last forever. And it's how we live with God in between those different places that radical transformation happens. And that's the heart of testimony. That's what makes Simeon sing a song about the risen Christ. Sing a song about Jesus and what Jesus will do. It's the fact that Simeon received the Holy Spirit and spoke from his heart. My brothers and sisters, I hope that we can enter this week and imagine how God has presented us, how Jesus has presented us pure and holy to God and how we testify to that truth and how we share God's love through our real life, not just our prescribed life, but our real life, the life that is a little perfect and a little imperfect, a little messy and a little clean, and invite people in. Amen. Please stand and join in the Nicene Creed, found on page 9. 
We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We 